0: Well, good morning. Everybody have a great weekend. I've had a wonderful weekend. We've had cooler weather. We had a little bit of rain. We had complete dominance over te- of Texas over Oklahoma. <laughs> it, it has been a great weekend. Last night, we went to Amarillo, or yesterday afternoon, as soon as the volleyball games were over, we took off to Amarillo. And we got to go watch uh, Ann Wilson. Cain uh, casting crowns in concert, and yeah, man, it was just magical, you know, just the Civic Center in Amarillo filled with people that just love Jesus, and just seeing everybody's hands in the airs and there was a little kid that was sitting next to us, he was probably, I don't know, six, seven years old maybe, and he was just standing there worshiping, I mean, it was just awesome. You know, there was a lot of times during the concert that, you know, I was just broke down and just tears. But I want to tell you about the best part of the weekend, or best part of yesterday, When we were at the volleyball game, I told my wife, I said, man, I just wanted a big breakfast this morning, you know, eggs, bacon, hash browns, pancakes, and she said, well, I wish you had a better wife, and I was like, or an IHOP. (laughs) You know, I was trying to hint to her where I wanted to eat when we got there, but she didn't quite pick it up. But I don't know if she told the kids or if they heard me, but on the way up there, I started, I was like, man, I want to go to this Mexican food place that I used to go when I lived up there. So I asked the kids, and they were all like, oh, IHOP, IHOP, so I was like, all right, whatever. So we get to IHOP and we order our food <clears throat> and as they're bringing our food a man and his daughter comes in and she's probably 15, 16, 17. So we get our food and we're praying and we get through praying and we say amen and the, and the guy says amen. And I was like okay but well, that was enough to start a conversation and he was asking us where we were from and we told him where we were from and he said he was from Albuquerque and He asked what I did or asked what church we went to or asked what we were doing in Amarillo and I told him we were there for a concert and he asked what church we went to and I told him and then we talked a little bit and he asked, so so what do you do there? And I was like, well, I'm the preacher of the church. So we really got to talking and as we started talking about God, his daughter gets up and leaves. So we just assumed she's going to the bathroom, but she's gone for a long time. And then he finally tells us, he says, can y'all please pray for my daughter? He said, a few months ago, we buried my oldest daughter her sister, and she's angry at God, and she's turned away, and you know, that's kind of when we realized that she didn't go to the bathroom, she was gone, she wasn't coming back, but as he was telling us the story, he was crying, and you could just see how hurt he was and how much he loved God, and even though he was hurting, he was pouring into our kids, and it was just awesome to see somebody that in just so much pain and so much hurt set himself aside and to pray for our kids, and to speak life into our kids. So if y'all don't mind, I would like for y'all to pray for her today. Her name's uh, Alyssa De La Cruz. She's from Albuquerque. So I'm going to read our scripture for today, and then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that we all pray for her while we're at it. So please rise. It's going to be Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who, are, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Can we pray? My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this opportunity just to share your message. Father, I just pray as, uh, as we go through this, Father, that you just remove me from this situation and just let your words flow through me. Father, I just want to ask for a special prayer for Alyssa. I just thank you for the opportunity to just encounter her dad and just be with her and to be able to pray with him. Father, I just pray that you'll lift her up, and in this time of sadness and grief, that you will just uh, reveal yourself to her in a way that she just can't even, uh, she can't even believe, Father. We love you. We praise you. We ask you things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So, has anybody ever heard the saying, Do as I say, not as I do? (laughs) I used to hate when my dad would tell me that. I mean, I thought it was one of the dumbest things that he could ever possibly say. But my dad was a uh, farmer and rancher growing up when I was growing up, and I loved to go to work with him. I loved to do everything that he was doing. If he was plowing, I'd crawl up in the corner of the tractor and sit there with him. If he was out working cattle, I'd, I loved being there, even though they usually put me there holding the gate and letting mad heifers come running at me. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being with him. And when I wasn't with him, when I was a kid, you know, I was playing games, like I was gathering cattle, or I was doing something, trying to be like him. And as I got older, I realized just how much of an impact that had on me. See, my dad was working on vehicles, And he'd get mad, he'd throw a wrench. So as I grew up and I got mad, I would throw stuff. My dad, on Sundays when he was off work, he sat in the chair and watched TV. So when I got older and I had kids and I wasn't at work, I was sitting at home watching TV. Growing up, my dad was a Cowboys fan. So, of course, I spent years of disappointment watching the Cowboys. (laughs) But... I never really understood how much of an impact my dad had on me as I was growing up. He didn't go to church. He didn't make it a priority in our lives. I didn't make it a priority in my life, and I didn't make it a priority in my kids' lives for when they were little. See, it was my dad's actions and his attitudes, not just his words that I learned and followed in his footsteps. And I became an imitator of my earthly father. So in verse 1, uh, Paul writes, therefore be imitators of God. As dear children, in order to imitate God, we must. In order to imitate God, we must first be His children. So we become His children in two ways: being born again, and through adoption. And I know, as Christians, we like to say that we're all children of God, but that's not biblical if we really read it. I mean, there is a sense that we are God's children because He is the Creator of all things. But in First John three, one through ten. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because they don't know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have hope in Him purify themselves just as He is. He is pure everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawless. lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that we might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So let's clarify this real quick. There's a difference between committing sin and continuing to sin. We will all commit sins, but a true believer will repent, which means turn away, confess it and find forgiveness. So, verse 7 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteousness, just as he is righteousness. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God, meaning born again, will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. You see, we're all born into sin. And sin separates us from God. So we must be born again. Even the religion isn't enough to get us into heaven. And John Chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader. He was a teacher of the Old Testament. He followed the uh, religious rituals very to the T, you know. But Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born again, we're adopted into God's family. And being adopted into God's family is just amazing when you think about it. I mean, he picks us. He chose us. Even in our sinful nature, he picked us. He picked us out from the pits of hell and brought us into his house and gave us the privilege of being his children. So to imitate God, we must know God. How do we get to know God? We spend time in his word and in prayer. The Bible tells us all about God, how to be like God. And the more we read it, the more it reveals to us. The deeper we dig, the more understanding we will have, and we'll begin to see that who the Bible says God is, is often different from who the world says he is. For example, many people say, my God is a God of love, not a God of judgment. But well, that statement implies that God tolerates sin, but that's not the God of the Bible. Yes, of course, God is love, but he's also holy and just. First John 1.5 says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness. See, Darkness represents what is sinful and evil. And in the dark, good and evil looks alike. But in the light, they can clearly be distinguished. Just as darkness cannot exist in the presence of light, sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. And when we pray, we're talking to God. What better way to get to know somebody than talking to them, sitting down having a conversation with them? But I think a lot of us get into the habit of we pray and we get up and we go. We don't sit there and listen. We don't ask for answers. It's like talking to a little kid. You know, have you ever had a little kid come up and tell you a story? They talk so fast, you can't get a word in, and then when they're done, they turn around and leave. That's how we are with God. We say what we need. Hey, give us this for the week. All right, I'm out of here. But we have to learn to sit down and listen to him and meditate and allow him to speak to us and to grow with him. I mean, you can't get answers if you're just doing all the talking. So in verse 2 of of our scripture, it says, And walk in love, as Christ has also loved us, and given himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We can't imitate God in loving loving one another until we understand what God's love is. You know, right now, in today's society, love is a watered-down word that we just use very loosely. But God's love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good for the one loved, that being salvation. So to walk into love is a lifetime commitment. The term walk simply applies a step-by-step, slow but steady process. See, if I took off walking to Childress right now, it's going to take me a while to get there. But As long as I take one step after another, eventually I'm going to get there. So the longer we walk in our Christian lifestyle, the more we should grow. We use sports for an example. When I first started coaching Ambry in sports or in softball, she was playing machine pitch. All I needed was a pitcher and a first baseman. The rest of the kids were just kind of there. Uh, You put your fastest kid at the pitcher's mound, and you put the kid that could catch the best at first base because most of the balls were just hit right there and either the pitcher would either get the ball and chase the runner down or throw it to first base. Very rarely was anybody else in the field involved in anything. Well, as she got older and she started playing kid pitch, then you kind of needed the infield because they were hitting a little bit harder. But most of the time, as long as the infield was doing their job, the outfield was just out there. But now she's at an age where all the positions are important. These girls hitting the ball, they hit it everywhere, they got slap bunts, they got bunts, they got all kinds of different things now. So as she's developed, as she's got older and played more ball, we need to do the same thing as Christians. We, every day we should strive to be more and more like Christ. We should follow the example on how to love. In Romans 5.9, I'm going to paraphrase this, it says that he loved us enough to die on the cross even while we were still sinners. So that's a powerful love right there. I mean, he, he was beaten, abused, and crucified for us, but not just for us, but for those that he knew would never choose him. And that's a love right there. But here's the thing, even, while he was, even when he was kind and gentle to the broken, he was forceful and direct, direct to the proud hypocrites. He was even forceful with his own disciples, like when he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. But his love for us has brought us through many failures and into God's family. So we look back at our key scripture. It's going to be verses 3 through 7. It says, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or, covenant covenant man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So, when you think about your senses, you got seeing, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. They will adjust to just in our day-to-day situations. You know, if we spend the day in a dark room and we walk outside and it's bright and sunny, our eyes will adjust. Same way if we're outside and we come in, our eyes will adjust to the darkness so that we can see better. Hearing's does the same thing. One weekend when I was in Amarillo, my nephew came to spend the weekend with me. And uh, he asked me the next morning, he said, how do you get any sleep here? I said, what are you talking about? He said, with all the traffic, I live like a block off of I-40. He said, with all the traffic and all the sirens going off all night, how do you sleep? And I was like, What sirens are you talking about? What noise are you talking about? You know, because I've been there so long that I was just I blocked it out. So that's a good advantage for us in our day-to-day life. But sadly it's a huge disadvantage when it comes to spiritually. See when we first hear about a sin, we're in horror and disgust over it. But the more we're exposed to it the more common it becomes, the more we begin to accept it, or at least just shrug it off. So this next part I really struggled with writing because it's kind of borderline PG-13. And I don't want to offend any little kids that are in here or have questions. So I'll, but I'm gonna try to change one of the words to make it where they don't understand as much but we still understand it. So we're gonna talk about intimacy for an example so a survey conducted in 2020 says 50% of christians said it's okay to have premarital intimacy in a connect, in a committed relationship 50% said it's okay to have casual intimacy between two consenting adults that are not in a relationship 18% said it's okay to have an open relationship where they're married and still have an intimacy with other people and 19% of christians says it's okay To be intimate on the first date. See, as we become more desensitized to the sin, the higher those numbers will become. It's promoted everywhere we look now. TVs, movies, music, billboards. Everywhere we look, we have it on our phones, computers. And since we're living in the cesspool, God's command becomes even more urgent. That we as God's saints need to eliminate intimacy from our thoughts, words, and deeds. This command isn't given so that we can have a happy marriage, although getting rid of this filth is essential in a happy marriage. Rather, Paul tells us that those who practice these things will have no place in heaven and will come under God's wrath. See, we are not to be immoral or greedy, Paul writes, but fornication and all uncleansiness or covetousness, meaning immorality or greedy, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. And here... Paul uses saints as just a common word for believers. It doesn't mean that we're better than anyone else. So God's standards for moral purity is absolute and therefore not debatable. We live in a time where many professing Christians deny that God's standards are absolute truth. God's standards for moral purity is not up for popular vote. He gave us commandments to follow for our good. And when we break them, we may get temporary satisfaction. But it will cause long term pain and problems. Keeping God's commands isn't always easy, but it's rewarding. God's standards include moral purity in thought, speech, and behavior. Paul uses six terms here to refer to sins that saints should refrain from fornication or immorality. This is anything that goes on outside of marriage, it's not rooted in love, but in lust and results in only using the other person for your own gratification. Uncleanliness or impurity. Anything that is dirty or impure. In the moral realm, it refers to that which contaminates others or is repulsive or disgusting. Greed or covetousness. It is motivated by self-pleasure apart from God. Filthiness refers to any indecency, obscenity, or shameful thing. Foolish talk, speech that regards or makes light of God's moral commandments, and coarse jesting, which is the idea of turning something around like a quick comeback that has a double meaning. See, we need to teach our kids God's standards, and we need to be the example for them to look to. Like I said in the beginning of the message, our kids are going to imitate us. There was a survey done in Michigan in 1996. It showed that 46 percent of 5th grade students and 55 percent of 8th grade students have engaged in intimacy. So I hope those numbers really concerned you as much as it did me. When I read that I was just kind of mind blown that kids that young but then when I started really thinking about it you know I could see it in the world today. But we as leaders, as parents, as the church, We have to teach our children in the way of the Lord. Because if we're not teaching them in the way of the Lord, then someone else is going to teach them in the way of the world. We need to be able to have an open relationship with our kids where they can come talk to us about their struggles and their temptations that they may face without the fear of of us getting angry at them. We need to protect them from harmful influences. We need to monitor the TVs, shows they watch, the movies they watch, the music they listen to, the video games they play need to keep an eye on their phones and on their computers. Also, we need to be, teach and be the example for our daughters to dress modestly. 1 Timothy 2.9 Likewise, the women are to dress in a suitable apparel with modesty and self-control. See, I know this is a touchy issue, and people will say that just because someone dresses a certain way doesn't mean a man should look at her. That's the complete opposite of what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we shouldn't be a stumbling block For our brothers or sisters. You know, this top-fitting clothes, crop tops, all this is designed to turn a man on. You know, I grew up with rodeos. I rode bulls when I was in high school. And I love going to rodeos. But I have a very hard time going to rodeos now because I have to watch it like this. Because of just the way some of the people dress there, that I just don't want it to be a stumbling block for me. So we must ignore the world's sensuous fashions and dress in a manner that pleases the Lord. Paul says there will be no immoral or greedy people in heaven. Of course, we know this to be true, or it wouldn't be heaven. While genuine Christians will will at times fall to sin, they won't continue to live in sin. And then Paul goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words. See, Paul knew that many people, including some Christian leaders, will say that you were under grace. God is a God of love who won't condemn you, He understands your weakness. By using these words, he entices you, and they lure you into eternal ruin. These words may be good for the ears, but they are harmful for the soul. Paul says that the wrath of God will become, will come, comes on the sons of disobedience. This is a term used to describe someone whose life can be characterized by disobedience, not someone that is sinned and repented. If someone claims to be Christian... But as in constant disobedience with God's moral standards, it is evidence that they are not born again. And unless they truly repent, they will face God's wrath and eternal judgment. Don't be deceived by anyone who says anything else. And then in verse 7, he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. This doesn't mean that we should forbid all contact with unbelievers. After all, it's our mission and should be our passion to lead people to Christ. This simply means that we should not conform to our moral standards to reach them. If we become so much like the world that people can no longer see a difference in us and them, then we're just misleading the lost. Paul is saying that we should befriend unbelievers and lead them to cross, but to be weary of those who are evil, immoral, or opposed to all that Christianity stands for. See, these people are more likely to influence for the evil than we are to influence them for the good. So now we get to the good news of this message. Verses 8 through 14 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light of the world. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with them, with the unfruitful works of the darkness. But rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And for whatever, for whatever manifests, makes manifest his lot, therefore you say, Awake who sleep? Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you lot. I love the way this starts. He says we were once darkness. He didn't say we were once in darkness. He said we were once darkness, but now we are light. In other words, we were spiritually blind. Not only did we not see God's glory and truth, we didn't have the ability or the desire to see such things. We didn't have a sense for our need for a Savior because we thought we were good enough to go to heaven. We lived entirely for ourselves and our own pleasure with no thought of death or eternity. But now, we are lot and walk as children of the lot. That shows the profound change in us when we were born again. Just like in Genesis, when God created light out of darkness, he has changed us from darkness to light. When God saved us, he opened our eyes. We were able to see the true conditions that we were in. We were able to fully understand what Jesus did for us on the cross and taken the punishment for our sins. And we should now hate the sins that we used to live in and strive to be more and more like Christ. And because we are now in the light, we should walk that way. For the fruit of the Spirit is in us all goodness, righteousness, truth, and finding what is acceptable to the Lord. See, we can't determine what pleases the Lord or acceptable to the Lord by our feelings or by what the world says or oftentimes by what even other Christians say. We learn what pleases the Lord through growth and understanding of his word. Living to please God is the difference between us and non-believers. So if we're living to please God, then we should expose the darkness. Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. By all all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. What he's saying is that by our lives first and our words second, we should expose sin. Most of us in here have probably been spotlighting it sometime. So when you're out spotlighting, it's dark, you can't see nothing. You got somebody out shining a light. Well, then they turn the light, and bam, all of a sudden you see a hog or a cow or a deer. We won't mention the deers. But uh, so then you take the shot. Well, that's the same way with sin. You know, nobody sees it at first until the light shines on it. And then it shows that, then it exposes itself. See, I I told you all before that we used to have a lot of friends. Well, then God changed our lives. We changed our actions, we changed our speech, we changed the music we listened to, everybody quit hanging out with us. And it wasn't because we were over there preaching to them and telling them what they were doing was wrong. It was just because God's light shined through us and their sin was exposed and they didn't like it. You know, it's been really funny since I've become a preacher. It's still kind of weird for me to say. But the way people act around me. I was at a football game the other day and I was talking to one of my friends And this guy walks up, and he's talking and cussing and just being his normal self. So my friend tells him, he says, you remember Cody? He said, y'all used to play softball together. And neither one of us really remembered each other, but he was like, oh, no. So we shook hands. And then my friend said, yeah, he's the new preacher here. And all of a sudden, the guy's just, his face just (laughs) like, oh, no, what have I done? And uh, his language changed, and he started looking for any excuse to get out of the conversation. Before I knew it, he was gone. In John 3, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, Everyone who does evil hates the lot, and will not come into the lot for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the lot, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. See, in order to expose the darkness, we have to be in the world but we can't be a part of the world. First John 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not, have, do not live out the truth. So we must be different in our thinking, our words, our attitude, and our behavior from the rest of the world, or else we don't even have a message to give them. We need to distinguish ourselves from our former lives and sometimes even our friendships if we're going to be able to minister to the world. So we all know this song, most of us probably know this song, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. So we know Jesus was a friend of sinners. But Jesus didn't hang out with them to have a good time. He didn't change his standards just to hang out with them. He came to seek and save the lost. He maintained a balance that we need to try to imitate. He kept his holiness while making sinners comfortable enough to hear his message. And lastly, in verse 14, it says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See, God has woken us up from our sleep. He has brought us back from the dead. And he has given us a lot, and we should go out and let it shine onto others. So we're going to open the altar now. We'll have a song. And the altar will be open for anyone that wants to come up, if anybody wants to receive Jesus for the first time, if anybody wants to join the church, or if anybody just needs prayer. If anybody just has that feeling that they just want to let their light shine more, feel free to come up. We'll have a song, and uh, I'll pray. My Heavenly Father, oh, please, rise. I always forget that part. My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this opportunity just to share this message that you gave me. Father, I just pray that uh, hearts will be changed and eyes will be opened, Father, and that we'll just go out And we'll be the lot for this community, this community, and just show you everywhere we go. Father, we love you. We praise you. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.